With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the Yukon Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Madigan and Daniel Connolly, here to discuss all the latest in Husky sports and switching conferences, obviously. Uh, we had AAC Media Day go down a couple weeks ago. Mike Oresco offered us a lot of great details on the, the Power Six and uh, also shared some stuff on, on UConn. We'll get into that, what uh, the exit process will look like, other rumblings that have come out since the uh, UConn to Big East news became official. Um, but guys, yeah, let's start, let's start with media day. Um, just, just at the offset, you know, Mike Oresco said the AAC, just in terms of the UConn piece, I think the biggest components or, or most important pieces are that the AAC is not adding uh, another, a team, not looking to add a team to replace UConn, that the uh, negotiations for the exit plan are, are ongoing and amicable, which is nice to hear. That warms the heart. Um, and then uh, – seems to believe there will not be an, an effect on the ESPN deal monetarily with UConn leaving, which um, we can debate about that a little bit later. But uh, other takeaways from uh, Media Day over in Newport? Nope. Uh, pretty pretty slow summer in Newport. Uh, I'm sure the lobster was great and, you know, the rest of the seafood was even better. But uh, – you know, this is something that we, we kind of took Diaco for granted. He'd always come out of media day with a, with a headline story, uh, sometimes national news. So uh, pretty, pretty slow. UConn was predicted to be dead last in the East uh, to the surprise of no one. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this season unfolds on and off the field with so much exit info and, and exit negotiations kind of going throughout the season. So uh, there'll be eyes on the Huskies all season might not necessarily be because of, you know, their play. Uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing if they play like they did last year. Yeah, and I think the news that uh, negotiations are going amicably is it's really a good thing because I think both sides still have a lot to gain and a lot to lose from how they ne- negotiate UConn's exit because – Obviously, I think UConn's made it pretty clear that they want to get to the Big East as soon as possible and everything. But I think for football, it makes a lot of sense. And I've heard that uh, Benedict might be trying to go for this too. Where really for all involved, it makes sense to keep UConn football in for two more years because then UConn doesn't have to figure out a 2029 conference schedule that might be kind of tough to put together as of right now and might have some unfavorable opponents. It also helps the AAC by giving them an extra year to push out a decision on maybe adding a football-only member or reworking their schedule because it is a little funky to try and run with 11 teams, still have a conference championship, do divisions, all that kind of, all that kind of thing. So it gives them more time to figure out 
And so it just kind of makes sense for you kind of try and get two years. And uh, I think it makes sense for both sides. So the fact that that's going well, I think is a good sign, whether that actually leads to anything. We all know that what Oresco says and what he does it aren't necessarily the same thing. So still a lot to be seen. But yeah, it's, I, I just don't feel like I know anything about this year's football team. Like, yeah. how far out were we from camp? And I don't know. I know the interest isn't super high right now, but there wasn't really anything newsworthy that came out of media day. And I don't know, like, I guess it's because training camp hasn't started, but I just feel like I'm a little in the dark about the team. Yeah. And Dan, I think, you know, before we kind of dive into what the team looks like this year, and I know maybe Amon, you can rifle through your generic bag of uh, preseason training camp headlines that you usually do, but um, (laughs) it is tough to play with 11 teams. I know the big 10 did that about, you know, a few decades ago, 10 or 20 years ago. And that's something that Oresco reached out to them uh, for information, but keeping the Huskies in the American for football for at least another season or two could also reduce that exit price, right? Because Benedict can say, well, you know, we're leaving in these sports, but we're not leaving until 2021 or 2022 or 2020, whenever the end date for football might be. So him getting creative with that exit date for football is going to help the American. It's going to help the Huskies. It's going to reduce the amount of money they might have to pay to the conference. So that'll be really interesting. And that could kind of be, uh, you know, Benedict's kind of, carved out his legacy here at UConn already getting UConn into the Big East but if he can kind of finagle something that saves the Huskies even more money and and makes that jump to the Big East even more lucrative um, that could be huge. Well then all that we've heard from the conference headquarters and from our fellow conference mates is somewhat tongue in that's the wrong word but they've all said well UConn sucks at football. That's the big moneymaker in college athletics. So why is our deal going to change? So then Benedict can flip that and say, all right, well, you guys have said this after we've left that our other sports don't matter. It's just football. So let those ones leave. It doesn't matter to you guys. And we're just going to keep football in for the two years. So I think that's a very fair point to make for Benedict. Right. There is a contradiction at hand where you're talking about um, this this national conversation of nothing but football matters. So this is what, and this is the basis on which we make all of our decisions. And then, yet at the same time, uh, no UConn, we don't want you to be football only members because if you're not bringing your valuable basketball into the fold, uh, then then that's a bad deal. Uh, which is totally fair, but then, of course, stands counter to this prevailing belief that uh, basketball is valueless, which is why I think this idea that ESPN won't want to, won't be trying to lower the money or change the terms on this this negotiated ACC, AAC TV deal, um, I think that's extremely wishful thinking for Mike Oresco. Um, even if UConn leaving was not that big of a deal, ESPN would be smart to take the contractual opportunity to get back to the negotiating table about the deal. Now, factor in that UConn is really valuable, that especially the basketball program offers a lot of great uh, programming inventory, uh, then that 
piece of it, especially the part where women's basketball and, uh, you know, was going to go behind a paywall and considering all the value it, it created for SNY, um, there's, there's a huge loss of value for the AAC in this contract. And uh, even for all of the down years that we've had from UConn football, I'm sure the viewership is, you know, average and or, or definitely not to the bottom in terms of people who are watching on TV or streaming uh, compared to some of the other schools. So um, that's going to be an interesting dynamic is kind of that push pull and where the AAC says they're being hurt when they aren't um, and vice versa. But I think Connolly, what you mentioned would obviously be the ideal is if after this upcoming academic year, we could get all of the other sports out of the AAC and then keep football in for two years as a helpful measure for everyone. Because I'm sure no matter what, those AAC teams that are slated to play UConn in 2020 don't want to have to do the same scramble that UConn's going to for, for roster spot or for scheduling spots. So um, there's a, there's a lot to follow with the, um, the exit plan for sure. And then, yeah, you know, with regards to the football team itself, it, it, obviously understandably so much, ox- so much oxygen sucked out by this conference move, but I am hearing from very, very well-connected sources that a number of players on the football team have gotten stronger. They have, they have added weight, but lowered their body fat and are ready to be much better at football this season. That's what I'm hearing from my sources inside of the team. So, um, yeah, I think the weirdest thing that, that we wouldn't be talking about team wise is the, the quarterback competition. So there's a wide open competition to be the starting quarterback of this team. And we don't really know anything about it. So um, hopefully we learn a little bit more as things go on, because even though fan sentiment is, is pretty much at an all time low, they still could put some effort into trying to make us a little bit more excited about the team. Well, to be fair about the quarterback competition camp hasn't started either. And uh, the, some of the guys that are going to be in the competition haven't been with UConn. So I, I guess it makes a little more sense, but yeah, it's just kind of a dead period. And that feels a little weird to say right after media day, unless you're really excited that Donovan Williams is now a tight end and Xavier Williams or Xavier Scott's now a wide receiver. If you're into that. Huge info. Huge info. Yeah. Also, Mike Beaudry took the offensive line to the dairy bar a few months ago. So I would probably put him as the front runner in the quarterback race. Hey, it's all about rebuilding the culture and that's a big right. step. Yeah. The dairy bar is the culture. That's, that's fair. Um, that's, that's a fair assessment of the situation. And, and Amon, one other thing I wanted to add is that when you were talking about, you know, whether UConn will be in the American for, for 2020 or not for football is that the longer, we go without hearing any good news or any news really the more likely it is that UConn will remain in the American for 2020, whether that means for football or for all sports, you know, that's, we're uncertain of that obviously, but you know, Benedict and Oresco can be, could be working on stuff behind the scenes, but more likely than not, if nothing's getting out, nothing's being made public 
were getting leaked out, it's very likely that UConn will be in the American in 2020 for at least football. What do we think about after that? I, I think it's kind of interesting to see this national conversation shaking out about where UConn football will end up. A lot of commentary about the program twisting in the wind or whatever, very, very dramatic stuff. Um, and yet I feel like, uh, I mean, at least among us, we've been pretty calm about the idea of independence being a pretty solid place to be and maybe it potentially working out, especially if it lets all the other sports go to the big East where, where everything else makes a lot more sense. Um, so yeah. How, how do we feel about like long-term resting spot for the program? That's the, that's the question, you know, everyone's really thinking about. Yeah. I think that the, at least to me, the only thing that really makes the most sense is that a network, um, whether it be, a regional network or, you know, a major network, um, most likely SNY, just for all intents and purposes here, is going to offer a deal to broadcast at least some of, if not all, of UConn's home games. Um, when the new American deal was announced, Benedict Herbst and UConn released that scathing statement, uh, basically slamming the fact that their relationship with SNY was basically kicked to the curb. So I can't imagine that all of these factors, you know, coming out against that deal so strongly, leaving the American to join the Big East, leaving football out in the cold for right now. Um, I can't believe that all that's happening without SNY having some sort of, you know, handshake agreement in place saying that, you know, we, we might not be able to do everything, but we will take care of you where we can. Um, I just think it's a logical connection. They're always, you know, the regional networks are always looking to fill content slots. Uh, there's no reason that Ness, uh, a network like Nesson couldn't be in the running as well. But um, to me, I think SNY stepping up to the plate and offering a, a deal for multiple years to broadcast UConn football makes a lot of sense. And even if they're hot garbage like they were last year, um, that's still stuff that's going to draw eyeballs, especially in the Northeast and in the New York, uh, New York area. It's just, you know, UConn's ties to the region are strong enough to, to kind of pull some of that weight. Yeah, we've literally been talking about UConn football going independent as like a reasonable thing. Like I ser it's seriously been like two or three years that we've like actually been talking about it, right? I'm not going crazy on that. About a yeah, a little bit a little bit less than that, but yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean UConn is absolutely in the most unique position of most of the independent schools that they have SNY because you look at what makes Notre Dame successful and it's because they're the most well-known football program in the country and they have that deal with NBC, but then BYU has their own TV station. So that's how they're dealing with independence. So the big key is the TV in all of this, right? Like that's why UMass is struggling is because nobody cares about UMass football. So they're not going to get a deal with like Nesson or NBC sports Boston to broadcast their games because nobody cares. And it's outside the Boston metropolis, but UConn or SNY knows that UConn fans care and will tune in to watch. There's already that history. Like Madigan said, UConn was mad that the relationship was going to be ending. So the fact that they have SNY just completely changes the whole scenario in it. And then after possibly 2020 and maybe the first few years, but like, I don't think UConn's going to have any trouble finding opponents 
because the fact that they have UMass and Army next door, those two teams can get an agreement going to fill up two of those later season slots to play each other when the conference conferences are all playing each other and it's in conference season. Those are going to be the tough ones to fill. But you've got already got two there. You can even push your FCS games back into that time frame, possibly. I mean, UConn's never doesn't have much trouble scheduling good opponents. Obviously, they, they got Duke on the schedule in the future, Clemson, Indiana, Illinois. I can't imagine I'm going to keep picking on UMass here, but I can't imagine UMass is getting home and home with those schools, right? So, no, UConn has a strong brand, even if their football team isn't great. Just the name UConn is going to carry weight. So I think they're just in a really good spot compared to all the other independent teams. And with the way conferences are going, it kind of feels like there's a seismic event coming in the next 10, 15 years. So who knows, maybe UConn football being independent is actually going to be a benefit to them. Yeah, there must be some reason they're hanging around in FBS, right? Otherwise, you would just immediately downgrade to FCS, cut your losses, and and move on with it. But Right, and we... We heard that the CAA was interested. I think the CAA commissioner came out this week and said that they'd be interested in UConn, which uh, probably the biggest no-duh of all time, right? You know, UConn would automatically be kind of maybe not the best program in the conference, but one of the better institutions in that conference. And just a, it's a logical fit in every sense of the word. So um, I personally didn't take too much stock in that when the CAA commissioner said they'd be interested. Um, I think any FCS conference in the Northeast would be interested in UConn if they decided to drop down. Um, I don't think that was really super newsworthy. But the other thing that I found interesting is that, Dan, you were saying that UConn has the ability to really lock down home and homes of these quality programs. Uh, and I, I was reading an article that kind of said that while it makes sense, you people would think that UConn being independent, trying to get money, it's all buy games, buy games, buy games. Uh, against Clemson, big schools like that, trying to get as much money as possible in one shot. Uh, it seems that nowadays most ADs are trending towards the opposite. And instead of paying out that money uh, for one game, they would rather schedule a home-and-home, home, which you know doesn't necessarily help the financial uh, issues that UConn has as much, but it does help the scheduling holes, which right now are a much more dire need. So it's really interesting to see that. And I think it's really interesting that UConn hasn't locked in any buy games that I can think of off the top of my head. I could be wrong. Um, in the last year or so, I know there's been home and homes with Duke and Illinois and some other series um, like the one in Tennessee that got canceled a few years back, but uh, that's something to keep an eye out on. And I think that's just going to actually help UConn at least until they can get on the stable ground and cobble together, you know, a core group of teams that they're going to play year in and year out like Dan said, whether it's Army and UMass or some other schools. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the most important thing will be getting that TV partner in, but as we discussed, SNY is going to want to buy the package that we offer them because it will include extremely lucrative basketball in there. And uh, we'll just we'll be able to toss football into the mix. I think also don't sleep on Fox as a potential – um, additional television partner, if not primary television partner. Uh, they've got the regional network. There's not a lot of regional college football going on. Um, and of course, they are the Big East's television partner. So for them, in the interest of making this work as well as possible for UConn, I think Fox could also really um, 
be part of the act. And then scheduling wise, like you said, we've got two independents nearby. Um, uh, there's a glut of schools in the larger region that we have some history with that will want to play UConn. Um, and then even someone like say uh, Penn state who maybe there's not a lot of history with maybe something like a uh, play one at Penn state play one in New York or something like that, New York city, uh, at Yankee stadium or giant stadium or, or whatever. Um, and we would send lots and lots of fans to a game like that. So, uh, and, and have in the past really successfully. So I think UConn has a lot going for it brand wise and fan base wise that, makes its situation different from UMass's. Sorry, with all due respect to the UMass Athletic Department, um, I think the, the, you know, the kind of thing that people talk about what, that UConn is sacrificing is they'll never get a Power 5 invite and they'll never be a national, a national power in college football, which, like, come on, that second thing, um, hate to break it to all of you, was probably never going to happen. The ceiling is, is like what Syracuse is doing right now, you know? Um, and, and then I think beyond that, they'll, uh, they'll be able to survive as, as an independent. And um, I think Conley, what you alluded to earlier in terms of potential seismic shift, I think that's the reason UConn wants to stay in FBS. Um, I think what they are hoping is that there's either some large shakeup or some large separation and things move around and something in what is now called the P5 um, opens up. But I think if, if we're talking about within the next two or three years, a power conference expanding, they're not even going to think about adding UConn. Um, because it's still all about all about football right now in this in this moment. So um, again, think think independence will be a good good resting place. See how things shake out in the world around you. Um, and I'm just, I'm honestly just kind of confused why people think of it as this death knell or um, you know real uncertain ground just because, um, you know, just because there's not really a model that exists that UConn is copying. I think it's great that UConn is taking charge on its own and trying to create its own version of success as an athletic department, given its unique situation. So um, it gives us a lot, a lot to talk about and a lot of potential options, but, um, you know, clear, clearly it's, it's there in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And, Let's be honest, the difference between um, the Power Five and the G5 might as well be the difference between FBS and FCS because a G5 team is never going to be competing in the college football playoff. And it, even if it expands to eight, there's still no guarantee that the group of five team is going to get an automatic bid. And then even if they do, one team out of five conferences, so what is that, 50 teams, 70 teams, has a chance to win a national championship and it's still going to be a really subjective like system for getting in. So like the way college football is structured, there's three, three tiers of division one football and what UConn's doing, if it works, who knows if like some of the big G five schools like Boise state or 
UCF, it could spark a trend towards that too, where they kind of try and crack out of the G5 by going independent because it's, it, if you look at it, it is three different levels at this point. I totally agree with that. I, I think uh, it's, it is, you can describe it in that way. And, and also that that chasm is growing larger with each passing year. The AAC, which is, you know, you can, can, you can call it the best group of five league or at least top two. You know, last year by S&P, the Mountain West was better. Um, but either way, we, we kind of saw what the ceiling is of a, of a G5 school. When UCF went undefeated, it's you get invited to nothing. You get disrespected even if you win your bowl game because they say the other team doesn't care. And then you lose your head coach to a team that hasn't been good in 20 years. So that, that, that has more money. The AAC wants to celebrate getting a, you know, getting a raise from $3 million to $7 million. Meanwhile, the power conferences are, are making 50 and launching new, new television networks. So uh, that, that gap is just going to continue to grow. Um, and there's still even parts of this, this new AAC deal that, that we should definitely discuss um, that were revealed in um, some recent news coverage. Um, particularly, I think the, the, well, one thing I think that's, that is really notable to bring up was that the president or, you know, leadership at Cincinnati uh, expressed concerns about, along with a few other uh, schools' leadership in the AAC, expressed concerns about being responsible for the production and production costs of all of those games that are going to be on ESPN Plus. So then again, you talk about the the advantage and the disadvantage. The SEC, the the, the, the Big Ten, they have their own network, and and production is covered. Uh, the AAC will have to. Hold on, we'll have to be responsible for production costs and have worse distribution. So the, the gap just keeps growing, and Mike Oresco's answer to their concern was, we'll figure it out. So it's kind of like the more we learn about this deal, we already didn't like it from the get-go, but then the more we learn about this deal, the more it doesn't sound so good. Yeah, and that was even a concern that David Benedict brought up uh, at, at the time of the deal and – uh, more recently, because it's every single men's and women's soccer game and every single baseball and field hockey game, right? Or not field hockey, softball. Baseball and softball, right? It is every home game for all of those sports, right? It'll be, yeah, all, none of it's those will be on linear networks. So. Yeah. Yes, all those go on ESPN Plus is what I mean. So that's all that, ES, that UConn has to produce on top of all of the basketball games. And at least for UConn, UConn fans are used to the linear television broadcast. Do you think they're going to accept having two cameras, one being the like standard shot of the floor and another behind the basket for the entire game? I mean, and then like, what do you plug into the, um, the radio broadcast or do you have to hire your own broadcasters or do you have to go with WHUS? Like, that production value is not going to be anywhere close to what UConn fans expect. And like no disrespect to any of the programs, but I can't imagine 
the number of people that are tuning in to watch the non-revenue sports is really going to push the needle much on anything. I like, it's a nice idea in theory. Like I think UConn would jump at the idea of those games being on ESPN plus if they didn't have to produce them or if their already current production could just go on ESPN plus, but it's just gonna, it, it was just another one of the expenses that you add in that the big East is offsetting in some, some way. Right. And Dan, the other thing with that is that, you know, Benedict kind of slipped this in when he was on a serious XM uh, interview a few weeks back, but the American deal, the new American deal is backloaded. He wouldn't go into how much it's backloaded, but they're not getting, you know, schools aren't getting that full, I believe it's $7 million or $6 million, whatever, um, right off the bat when that new deal hits after, you know, this coming year. Uh, that's a big deal. That that kind of changes how things go, and it kind of makes sense, you know, aside from the nostalgia factor, why Benedict wants to get out of the American and get into the Big East where they are making, you know, 6 or $7 million uh, per year and, and getting that money immediately and getting that full share immediately. So. On top of that, Benedict also mentioned that they're going to save a million and a half to two million dollars in travel right off the bat, um, which you know isn't a crazy number, but it's something that's certainly going to add up over time, and that's basically another two million dollars that UConn's going to make every year, right? Um, to to kind of put it very crudely, so it's it's interesting. I, the ESPN Plus thing isn't necessarily the worst idea in the world by the American. Uh, it's a huge bet on an unproven streaming network, but. I think their goal is to put in, you know, niche sports uh, like Major League Soccer they have on their UFC. It uh, seems like I imagine that the women's basketball team would have been one of the, you know, the key selling points for E+. So um, with that gone, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of pans out. But their goal has always been to kind of go for those, you know, po- super popular but small sports and kind of build subscriptions that way. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But for UConn's current financial state, it makes so much more sense to not get involved with that at this time, get into a conference where they can make more money and save more money and, you know, either stay there for the end of time or wait until the next round of realignment hits and see, you know, where they, where the wind blows. Um, did you guys see the uh, kind of, kind of changing gears now, but did you guys see the athletic uh, did a little Q and a with, with Dan Hurley uh, last week? Did you guys catch any of that? yeah that was really good yeah i thought i thought um just you know to talk a little bit about the basketball team and what kind of what kind of season they might have men's basketball team what kind of season they might have um you know it's it's kind of quiet uh on on that front too and then um it's kind of hard to gauge where people's expectations are for for this upcoming season like talking to my friends, talking to different, you know, UConn fans online. And it's like, well, you know, Jalen Adams left, obviously he's really good. So maybe there's a little bit of a, of a step back, but there's this huge influx of talent with, with a cock, cock, with uh Knight, with Gaffney. Um, even, you know, you can talk about the impact of having RJ Cole just in practice uh, as someone who can be a, uh, guy that that pushes the group but um just just some some things that stood out to me were from the hurley q a um was just some of his commentary on um 
on the players individually. So Josh Carlton really wants him to take that next step, wants him to become an all, you know, sees that next step as being an all-conference player. Alterique Gilbert, obviously it's about finding his form and staying healthy, but uh, also just so many other guys who played good minutes last year, showed promise, um, Polly, Sid Wilson, uh, Isaiah Whaley to some extent. And um, I think there's reason to believe this is going to be a better team this year but um, I know it's really early. We're in we're in late July. But do you what, what's the sense you guys get in terms of what expectations are going to be for this team going into the season? I think this is a really interesting season, uh, especially with the Big East news and it being you know year two for Hurley. Uh, he's kind of been known as being a rebuilder, but a slow one, right? And you know I, I think the third year, which would be UConn's first year in the Big East, has always been that year where it's going to be like all right is this you know is Hurley for real is is he able to kind of bring UConn back to what it used to be or not and I think this year is going to be a step in that direction I don't necessarily think they're going to be a lock for the NCAA tournament but I definitely think they'll be better than they were last year and have the ability to contend for a tournament berth uh, just between a healthy Gilbert uh, you know a senior Christian Vital, an improved Carlton uh, and Tyler Polly, and then, you know, a cook, a cook, Sid Wilson out there on the wing. Uh, I think that's a really fun group. I think there'll be a lot of, you know, it'll be a high energy group, kind of like what it was at times last year. And I think the more that Hurley can bring in his guys uh, and kind of get them into the system and kind of implement his culture, the better UConn's going to be. But it's going to take another year, I think. Uh, and especially with all everything focused on joining the Big East, RJ Cole coming, you know, that year after and with the first year in the Big East and Hurley's kind of tension for slow rebuilds. Um, I, I think there's not as much pressure this year, but it needs to build a strong foundation for 2020, 2021. Yeah, I, I agree with the point that it's kind of tough to figure out like what this team is going to be because they went 16 and 17 last year. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe it was just different because it was just miles better than, the year before because the year before was so horrible or maybe I've just kind of forgotten what a winning team's like or maybe I've just blacked it out but uh it it didn't feel like that bad of a team like I think I was always surprised when I looked at the schedule and saw oh wow we've we're, we're still below 500 so the the, the thing that I kind of get caught up on is there's a lot of guys on the team that that are good but they're not great, and there's no one that I think, like, that guy is going to be our star. Like, Altariq certainly has the talent, but he hasn't shown it on the court when he's been on the court that he's going to be the guy, and he's had trouble staying on the court. Carlton definitely took a really big step towards being that last year, but I still don't think he's, like, totally a star. Like, I think talking about star power can be a little overrated, but at the same time, basketball is such a sport dominated by stars and I kind of have trouble seeing who that might be on UConn just like a go-to stud that when the game's tight this guy's gonna score a basket or when other guys are having an off night this guy's gonna go put up 30 points and carry the team like I I'm just not sure who that guy is gonna be on this team 
So I think that's just more my hesitation. There's a lot of good players, but I feel like it's just evenly spread out across being good players. There's no guys that are like on the next level, like someone that every single game, the other team's going to be looking out for. So I, I guess that's my concern because I, they're definitely not going to be worse than they were this year, but I'm just not sure this year how much of a step they can take. But uh, it's just, it is just kind of a weird in-between year. And just to jump on that Hurley article, the, um, I love the part where he's talking about in the practice facility where if you've never been in there, they have like this giant banner of every single lottery pick in the school's history. And he says that sometimes when he didn't like what he was um, seeing in practice, he would turn around to one of the banners and he used Ray Allen as an example. And he goes, Hey Ray, can you believe this? Like, can't like these lottery players should be embarrassed about what's happening on the court. It's just so it's just such a dad joke, but it's such a Hurley thing. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not a basketball player. I'm not on the team, but I don't know. I feel like that does kind of carry some weight. Like we're at UConn. We're not performing up to the level of these other really, really good players. Cause at least for the women's team, because I'm around them a little more. A lot of the players talk about seeing the other names on the wall of all the other All-Americans and seeing the Olympians on the wall and kind of feeling their presence when they're playing and needing to live up to the standards they've built. So I think Hurley doing that is kind of stupid as it is. It is kind of that reminder that there's a certain standard that needs to be playing, that there needs to be playing at UConn. And the last three years, they haven't been anywhere near that. And even since 2014, I don't even think they've really been near that. So I do kind of like that from Hurley as weird as it is. It is, uh, it does seem like a pretty good tactic. It's definitely weird, but it also is kind of a reminder of that thin line between the crazy that is endearing and the crazy that has fans extremely confused as to what you are thinking and why you have the job that you have, Bob Diaco. Uh, so um, uh, I, I think the answer to your question about kind of who's the guy uh, is, is in a, in a perfect world, hopefully it's just a very rotational answer of uh, rotation between Gilbert Vital maybe a cock, maybe Carlton. Um, I think the most promising thing about this team is just that the front court is going to be fiercer than a Husky front court has been in, in many years, many, many recent years. Uh, so that's exciting, but hopefully it's just that it's just that that group of guys who are super talented, um, find enough of it in them to step up such that you know they can handle one fourth of the load, and then uh, next year, that only Vital the following year that only Vital is the one leaving. So then those guys all kind of have some experience uh, being the man, being that kind of leader. And then you have, I guess, Connolly. You're right. It's it's kind of forgetting what a really competitive basketball team looks like. Some people call that you know the core of what can be a very good basketball team. So uh, hopefully that's that's how it shakes out. Uh, in the coming weeks or years. Huh. Yeah, I hope Hurley's rebuild lasts more than a few weeks. 
Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so I guess in just a, a little bit of other news, uh, the ice bus Yukon men's hockey team, uh, did make its 2019 recruits official. Actually, sorry, let me just real quick before that, a couple of quick updates from the NBA. We had Jalen Adams signing with the Pelicans, which is pretty cool. Uh, he'll be uh, teaming up with Zion Williamson, uh, and we'll see if he's able to make it. He's on the Exhibit 10 contract, which will give him a reasonable shot of staying in the U.S. should he not make an NBA roster. Um, and then Amita Brima signed with the Pacers, which, uh, again, we'll see kind of how that shakes out, but really great to see to see him get an opportunity. Yeah, I don't follow. I'm not going to act like I follow the G League religiously or at all, but from the stuff that I did gather, it did seem like Amita Brima was actually doing pretty well down in the G League. So hopefully he, – he always had the talent, so hopefully yeah. – it's actually what it, the, the league is actually doing what it was supposed to and developing him to be just, he could be a really good defensive NBA player. He's seven feet and people still need shot bloggers, even though everyone's trying to shoot threes. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Rodney Purvis is also doing pretty well in the G league and he's had a few, um, I think cups of coffee in the NBA, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we'd, we'd like to see uh, more of that, that older Yukon flavor of guys like Kemba Walker, Rudy Gay, the massive contracts that they're signing. Haven't had one of those in a while uh, in terms of guys coming out of school. So uh, maybe that's something we'll see from either a cook or Carlton uh, down the road is that, that Yukon player who becomes a big time pro prospect. Speaking of big-time pro prospects, the UConn men's hockey team announced its incoming recruiting class. Uh, Connolly, you want to walk us through some of the highlights of that that group? Yeah, so it's another really good recruiting class from uh, Mike Cavanaugh and his staff. There's not like a – at least right now I haven't found a like reputable site that has all the teams ranked, so – I don't totally know where it stands in the country, but I mean, if you just kind of look through it, they've got a forward Vladislav Firstov. Vladislav Firstov. There's going to be a lot of Eastern European names coming, so hang on. Uh, he just a few weeks ago he was picked by the Minnesota Wild with a 42nd overall pick, which is the second highest pick in program history after Tage Thompson, who is a first rounder. So he should be one of those step in instantly and become a top scorer for this team. Uh, one quote that I found first off said to have an NHL ready shot and is an elite skater with an explosive stride. So then paired with that, you've also got a really, really good defenseman coming in. Jan Kuznetsov. He's, he's really young. He's only 17. Whereas most of the guys coming into college hockey are a little older. They've played junior hockey for a few years. So they're like 19, 20, but this kid's supposed to be really good. He's also from Russia. He's a strong skater, and he's a two-way defenseman, which means you bring some offense for as a defenseman, which is something UConn's definitely lacked the past few years. And, I mean, a really good example of, like, what type of program UConn's looking to build is what UMass did last year. UMass got all the way to 
the national championship game and they weren't in that it, they weren't in too different of a spot than UConn was a couple of years ago. So they had really good offensive defensemen. And when they played UConn, you could kind of see the difference between the two teams. So the fact that they're getting one in Kuznetsov is definitely pretty good. But at the same time, he's also 17. So kind of like Ruslan Asakov last year, he might take some time in the season to kind of get going. But once he gets going, I think he's going to get going. Then they have Mataj Blumel how I'm going to roll with it. Uh, he's best known for just being able to fly on the ice. He's supposed to be super fast. 100th overall pick by the Edmonton Oilers. And he's supposed to be really dangerous on the penalty kill. So another forward. Um, actually, just going back to Kuznetsov, he, since he's so young, he hasn't been picked in the NHL draft, but he is projected to be a first-round pick. Then the third draft pick of the class, Carter Berger, he's another two-way defenseman. Supposed to be a strong passer, does well in the power play. They've also got a third goalie coming in, Ryan Keane. Obviously, they lost Huska. Vomashka's going to be the starter, so it's going to be between Keane and Bradley Stone for who's going to be the backup to Vomashka. That is a little bit of a position of concern if something happens to Vomashka because Stone has played maybe five games in his career. Keen doesn't seem like the highest level prospect, and I know that the team is looking for a top-end goalie for next year, which kind of makes it seem like neither of those guys are going to be a long-term answer. So, And he's also, this the kid coming in is only 5'9", which isn't great for a goalie for comparison, uh, Huska's 6'4". So that's a little bit concerning, but you at least need the bodies there, and really they're I think things would really have to go off the rails for either of those two to play a decent amount of time. They've got one New England kid from the class. Jacob Flynn comes from Thayer Academy. Another defenseman, then they've got Eric Lindell, a forward from New York, and Harrison Reese, a defenseman from Ontario. Kind of foundational players, but like we talk about with the women's basketball team a lot, you can't only have stars. You do need those role players in there, so it's a good way to kind of fill out the class and they don't have too many. um, They didn't have many departures, only five players really that played a lot are going to be gone. So they can kind of pick which freshmen are playing best and plug them into the lineup. Whereas last year it was kind of just throwing all the freshmen out to the fire and hoping they swam. So it's definitely a really solid class. It's balanced. It fills all the needs. It has the high end talent. It has the, middle class of the roster. So, I mean, the fact that Mike Cavanaugh and his staff can be bringing in this type of talent to UConn without having an on-campus rink, having Freitas as their practice rink with pretty much no program history, not much success getting players to the next level in the NHL so far. I mean, it, it's really incredible. And I mean, there's no doubt it's on an upward trajectory. For sure. Yeah. My, my only addition and takeaway would just be, yeah, the Kavanaugh so clearly has the program moving in a, in a great direction. A lot of talent on the roster. The ice bus is always fun to, uh, to catch live if you get the chance. Uh, So be sure to do it. 
That uh, and uh, Aman and Dan, they also picked up a uh, a forward, a flip from from Providence for not this coming season, but the one after uh, Johnny Malera, forward from uh, from Maryland, I believe. So seems like he was relatively lightly recruited, but nonetheless still good for them to kind of pick off a recruit from one of their rivals. Yeah, yeah. and uh, from what I heard, he got described to me as small but talented and. Got a comparison to Johnny Evans, one of UConn's freshmen last year. Freshman, one of the freshmen from UConn last year. Um, just a little tough to kind of see what he's going to be at the next level based on the league he plays in. But yeah, like you said, always good to get someone from your rival. Suck it, PC. That's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Catch you next time. <laughs>